Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good? Uh, it's bittersweet. Amen? Amen. Um, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here, um, and it's a privilege of mine to share um, what I have present or prepared for all of you today. Somebody caught me downstairs and said, uh, Jeff, are you preaching today? I said, I am, actually, and I'm excited about it. He, what are you preaching about? And I said, well, there's this um, guy in the Bible. You may have heard of him. His name is Jesus. So we're going to, we're going to talk about him. That's the answer always and forever uh, here. And um, let me just say this um, by way of getting started. Um, I think God is up to something. And I don't say that just to try to, you know, energize the room like that we would be more expectant of what God's doing. But I got to be honest with you. I think oftentimes we're not leaning in enough to know what God is up to. A couple months ago, uh, maybe a month and a half or so, the staff, we get together every Sunday morning at 7.30. So while everyone else is still you know, just waking up, we're already here and we're preparing and praying for you guys. And I asked our staff, just sort of one by one, to go around the room and to talk a little bit about how they're seeing God operate in their lives. In the last week, what has God been up to in your week this last week? What has he been, been saying or doing? And to be honest with you, all of us struggled a little bit to, dis, to, to, to tell the story of what God had done in the previous seven days. Ah, we're leaders in a church, right? And so just trying that exercise every week when we sit down and go, what has God been doing this week? What has God been saying this week? I tell you what, it's, uh, if you're old enough to, like me to remember rabbit ears on a TV long before cable and Netflix, any old people in the room? Just me? <laughs> no one's raising their hands. <laughs> like, you're a jerk. I'm not old. I'm just saying. But if you remember rabbit ears, you'd have to sort of tune them a little bit to try to get, okay, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want to say to you. I, I want us to, to listen to what he's saying today. Oh, my gosh. I want us to hear what he would have to say. We're going to read some verses out of Galatians chapter 6. This is the last week we're in Galatians. Say amen. I thought you'd be more excited. We can keep going if you want. We've been studying Galatians for a couple months now, but this is the last little part. So um, I'm going to read chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, and then we'll work through some things that I think God has for us. Uh, I'll put the words on the screen. You can follow along if you brought a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one underneath the seat close to you. You can use that Bible if you want. And if you don't own a Bible, you can take that hardback black Bible home with you. It's a gift, and we'll buy more. So you're not stealing. You're taking a gift that we're giving you. Um, caveat, if you already own a Bible, leave that Bible here, right? <laughs> Just don't take it if you don't need it. So let's read uh, verses 11 through 18 of chapter six. The Apostle Paul writes, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that, you may boast, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What a great line. Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but what matters, he says, is this a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy would be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. In the, the early 1970s, a father um, named Ed Packert was putting together, or putting to bed rather, his two daughters. He had gone into their bedroom, and as what happens on most nights when he puts them to bed, is he leans down to tell them a story. It's a bedtime story, we know this well, right? But Ed always used to make up a story, and he had this one particular character that, that was in every story every night. His name was Pete. And every night, Ed would come in and tell his daughters about the adventures of this guy named Pete. But this particular night, he comes in to their bedroom, and I don't know what it is, but the well of his creativity had run dry. Anyone? And he had nothing to tell his daughters as the bedtime story was approaching. And so he finally just told his daughters, he says, um, I don't know what Pete, uh, Pete's adventure is going to look like tonight. What do you guys think Pete should do? And the weary you know, sleepy eyes of, the, of his daughters just disappeared as they sat up in bed and began to imagine with their father all the adventures that Pete could maybe go on. And for the next half hour, they were telling all these stories. And in this, this sort of moment, Ed had an idea for a book. He says, what if we began to write books that allowed the reader to choose the adventure that, their, that they, the, her, the hero or the heroine was going on? And how many people remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books when you're a teenager, maybe a tweener, right? Uh, extremely popular books in, this, in the 80s and 90s. In fact, Ed took this idea to a publisher, got these books published, and between 1979 and 1998, they sold over 250 million copies of these books. If you don't remember these books, it went something like this. There was a main character, the story was told in the second person, there was a main character, it's typically genderless, it wasn't male or female, had no ethnicity, white, black, Asian, it wasn't, it just, they were just going on an adventure, and you'd read a few pages in the book, and at some point in the book, there'd be a prompt to turn to a different page, and it would say something like this, if you think the hero should go over the bridge to avoid the troll, turn to page 25. But if you think he should go under the bridge and encounter the troll, turn to page 38. And you got to choose where the, her the hero went. And so you would do that. And you'd wake your way through to the end of the book. And every time you read it, it could be a whole different story. In fact, some of these books had over 44 different endings, possible endings. So you truly could choose your own adventure. Now, the issue with this is that they make great reading. And it's kind of fun and kitschy to even do this. In fact, if you know this, Netflix um, came out with a movie a couple years ago uh, for their Black Mirror series. I'm not recommending it, just throwing it out there. <laughs> 
No one knows Black Mirror. Okay, stay away from it. I'm just saying. But they actually streamed a movie where you could choose different endings and choose different ways at, at certain points in the movie you could pick. Okay, so all that to say, it's a great kitschy way to read a story and sort of engross you into it. But it's, it's, there are no real um, masterpieces of literature artistry, are they? They're just sort of fun stories. And I get why they were so popular. This coming in the 80s and 90s, this was when postmodernism is for sure taking off in America and the rise of individualism was coming. This is when you could make your own way. This is when everybody was saying, you can do what you want to do. This is why American Idol got to be as, as popular as it was. Because for a generation or two, all those parents told those kids they could do anything they wanted to do, and they lied to them. Right? So the rise of, and you choose your direction. You're the, the king of your domain or whatever, like all these things. And so these books became popular. But can you imagine if you were to take that idea, right, where you get to choose, let's say you didn't like the ending of the story that you just picked. You just flip back a few pages and you could redo the whole ending again. If you didn't like the choice you made, oh man, I should have went over the bridge instead of under the bridge. You're like, ah, oh, well just flip back a few pages and you can redo everything. Could you imagine if we tried to do that with some of the classics? Imagine with me, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, anyone? Oh gosh, this is not gonna hit on anyone right here. <laughs> I read the books when I was younger, but I've probably watched Samuel Jackson's adaptation more than any other movie in my life. But there's a moment at the end of the trilogy, Tolkien's trilogy, where Frodo the Hobbit takes the Ring of Power, if you know about the Ring of Power, Right, this, this ring that was this forged in the, the base of a, a mountain and whatever, and it, and it, it gave the, the, the wearer the most immeasurable power you could imagine. It, it, was, it was the most powerful ring ever, but the only problem with it is it consumed the wearer. To quote the great philosophers, it's absolute power corrupts absolutely. This ring eventually took over the lives of the people who wore it. Well, they had got this ring and given it to Frodo the Hobbit and given him a challenge to go and destroy it into the mountain for which it was forged. And at the end of the movie, Frodo, the ring falls back into the lava pit and it's destroyed, yay, end of story. But what if we didn't like that ending? What if we wanted to change it and, and, and think of it a different way? It would steal so much of the story. There's a moment early on in the quest with Frodo and his friends as they're going on this journey where him and his buddy Samwise Gamgee are just about to step one step further than they've ever stepped before. And Samwise stops him and says, listen, if we go one step further, we'll have been farther out of the shire than we've ever been before. And in this moment, the, the author is telling us something, that there's a level of innocence that's taking place that these two characters are going to lose something that they didn't know they had and, and we're, we're sucked into a story. If, we, if we, don't, we don't read the ending of the story the same way if we don't have that experience as well. That every part of the story that Tolkien is writing, it means something to the climax of the story and if we begin to skip around because we don't like certain things, it changes the overall impact that the author intends for us. Maybe not Tolkien, how about Nemo, anyone? <laughs> we'll, drop, we'll drop the bar way down here. <laughs> Pixar hits, yes. There's a moment when Marlon, Nemo's father, is almost berating him, telling him he can't do things because of this, this deformed fin, this handicap or whatever that he has. He says, Nemo, you just can't do that. What if we, when we were watching that film, we thought he was being too harsh on his son and we skipped forward? We just passed it. His dad's being a jerk. I can't do that. PTSD, whatever, right? You flip... Right, my dad, it's a thing, whatever. Right, you go through all this stuff, what if you skip past, and then at the end of the movie when they're actually caught in a net in the ocean, 
And Nemo has the way of escape. And he says, everybody swim down, swim down, swim down. You, that tension's not built for you if you didn't hear an hour and a half ago, Nemo's dad saying, you can't do this, Nemo. And now Nemo's leading this group of fish as they break free and go, anyone, anyone remember this? Okay, last one, Star Wars. <laughs> I could do this all day. Star Wars. What if in that moment when Luke Skywalker is battling Darth Vader, boo, right? All of that. And, 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 and then Vader has this famous line that he says. He leans down and says, Luke, I'm your father. What if we didn't like that idea? What if we made him say, Luke, I'm your cousin instead? <laughs> it, it changes everything. Then the whole backstory of Anakin Skywalker being trained by a, a Jedi, named, Jedi named Obi-Wan Kenobi and, and losing the battle from the force to the dark side. It, it loses everything. The, the, the story that Luke has had for us, it misses if we don't have all the pieces. The Apostle Paul is arguing that the Judaizers are trying to change the story of God. These Judaizers, if you don't know, if you haven't been here for Galatians these last many weeks, Paul has went into Galatia and preached the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's, it's not salvation and your acceptance to God is not based on your works, but is based on the works of Jesus Christ alone. These Judaizers are coming in and they're teaching a different gospel. They're teaching, yes, you have to believe in Jesus. Yes, of course, he died on a cross. Yes, he raised from the dead. But they're also saying you have to obey the law too. And they're teaching a different gospel. And what Paul is arguing is that they're changing the story. Paul knows the story. Paul was trained as a young boy and young man as a Pharisee. It just means this, that he would have known the Old Testament very well. Not just known it, he would have memorized a lot of it. Memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. And then later on in his life, he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. This is after Jesus had been crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. Paul has an encounter with Christ. And Christ, we assume tells him everything about who he is, who, who Jesus is, and the impact that Jesus' life and death means for the world. We know this because Jesus also did this with some other people on a road to Emmaus, two other disciples who didn't understand everything. It says Jesus took the Old Testament books, the law and the prophets, and explained to them what they meant concerning him. And he did the same thing with Paul, we assume. So Paul knows the Old Testament. He knows what Jesus has come for, and he knows that God has established a new kingdom in Jesus Christ. He knows that. And he goes to Galatia, and he tells them this story. And the story starts, if you have your Bible, it's a great story, but if we don't let the author of the story, God himself, who I believe is the author of this book, know this, men wrote it down for sure, but the idea is that the inspiration of the Holy Spirit came upon the men, and they're telling the story that God wants us to know, okay? But Paul knows the story. In the very beginning of the Bible, we see this, that God created everything, and if we have time to come back to this, we will. But for, for this sake, just understand this. It didn't say God took all the stuff from a star or the atoms from a universe and forged a new universe and created something brand new from it. It didn't say that. It's, out, it's ex nihilo. It just means out of nothing, God created everything. It just tells us something about who God is, that God is the only one who can create truly out of nothing. You and I are creatives. We're artists. Anyone in the room? I'm a musician. I like to write poetry. Don't judge me. I like to do all kinds of things. Right? But I don't see myself as a creator on par with God. I'm created in his image. I'm like him as a creator, but I can't build anything from nothing. Only he can do that. Is this making sense? 
And he builds everything out of nothing and puts mankind in the middle of all of that. Adam and Eve are in the middle of this thing. This is gonna be real fast for all of us. But all of a sudden, the goodness of creation is broken when Adam and Eve sinned against God. And they're pushed out of God's presence. And they're pushed away from him. And the goodness of creation is broken. The the ground is cursed, the whole thing. But just before God sends them away, he, he gives them a promise. He says, out of the seed of a woman will come someone to undo all of this. And that's strange words. It just means this, a baby will come one day. A baby's gonna come from a woman and he's going to do something so unique the world can't miss it. Flip forward a few pages, there's a man named Abraham. If you know this story, Abraham and he has this promised son named Isaac and God makes this promise to Abraham that he's going to bless the nations. The entire world's gonna be blessed through his son Isaac and you can imagine this macabre plot twist when God comes to Abraham and says, listen, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac on an altar with a knife. And you're like, what, what? It's as if God fell asleep at the author's desk and a ghostwriter came in and says, I'll take it from here. And just started writing a whole other story. And you're like, how is this even possible? I thought, God, you said you're going to bless the nations through the promised son Isaac. And, and it doesn't make sense. But Abraham, in this thing called faith, he, he believes God and he just takes his son Isaac and lays him on this wooden altar with a knife in his hand. And he gets to plunge it into his son when God cries out and tells him to stop. And in that moment, we see that God provided an animal for sacrifice instead of the son Isaac. And we're like, wait a minute, this is the strangest story imaginable, but it's a story that God wants us to know. We fast forward from even Abraham and we see other stories. The story of Moses. Moses could come to rescue God's people from affliction and slavery. And he brings them back into the promised land, the promised land that had been given to Abraham. And on their way, God gives Moses the law. This is the Charlton Heston moment, if you know, the Ten Commandments. And basically he's saying there's a way for you, humanity, right, God's people to have a relationship with me back again, but it involves obeying all of these rules and regulations, the law, the do's and don'ts. And and these do's and don'ts and rules involved everything in their lives. The clothing that you could wear was regulated by these rules. The food that you could eat was regulated by these rules. The relationships you could have with other people was all regulated by these rules. And in these rules, these people of God, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they became this unique, separate, almost almost their own group of people amongst all the nations of the earth. The Jewish people were different. They worshiped God, Yahweh, the one true God, not the other gods of all the pagan nations. They dressed different, they ate different, they married different, they did everything different. This is all part of the story that God wants us to understand. And we move forward in the Bible even more with prophets and kings and all the Old Testament books. And for hundreds of years, God's people were obedient and then disobedient and obedient and disobedient. And when they were disobedient, God would bring judgment against them. And they would cry out to God, oh God, why is this happening to us? And he would remind them that they're morons. Well, not that way, but you know what I mean? He would just say, listen, you guys aren't obeying the rules. And they would cry out for help and God would help them. And he would restore them. They'd come back to full circle and they would love God and they would serve him and they'd want to be with him. And then over time, they would kind of wane in their devotion towards him. And over time, they'd start to serve other gods and they'd start to do other things and they'd find themselves in trouble. they go, oh no, God, what's happening to us? Help us, help us. And God would help them and bring them back and they'd go, yay, God. And then they'd go back down the wheel again and just over and over. We call this the cycle of apostasy. And for hundreds of years, God's people found themselves in the middle of that until one day a voice was heard crying. Out of this nondescript little town called Bethlehem, a baby began to wail. Jesus had come. 
The seed of a woman has arrived. The restorer of all things has broken into humanity. Something is about to shift. Something is going to change. And all of this is the story. Jesus lives the perfect life that no one could possibly live. He obeys all the rules. And then after 30 some years, he gives his life on a cross. He sacrifices himself that we might be redeemed. And there's a whole bunch backstory into that. But just know this, that that Jesus gave his life, that he was buried in a grave and he was raised back from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the climax of God's story. This is the climax of our story. The author God who has written this, this is the point he's deriving towards. But the Judaizers, they want to flip the page back. Yeah, yeah, the cross, the cross, the cross, whatever. But the law, the the important stuff is the law. And they flip the pages of God's Bible back to the law of Moses and say, yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to believe in the law. And, And Paul's like, are you incensed? You're stealing God's story from him. And that story, ladies and gentlemen, is weak and impotent to help anyone. I think back to a story in the Old Testament of a man named Noah. I mentioned that after Adam and Eve sinned, evil reigned on the earth. It got real, real dark to the point where God says, I'm going to start over. And he sends judgment by way of a flood to the earth. And everyone is going to drown. But in this sort of moment, God speaks to to Noah and says, I want you to build an ark. I want you to build a boat and I want you to put you and your family in it. And when the, the judgment waters come against you, you'll be lifted up out of judgment. We read that story in light of the cross, we begin to see that that's a picture of who Jesus is. That, that at the end of our days, when we're going to, we're going to you know, live our last day, the Bible tells us it is appointed unto a man once to die and then face judgment. We're all going to face judgment like Noah and the, the people of the earth had to face judgment. But in faith in Jesus Christ, we can escape that final judgment and have eternal life because Christ will lift us out of judgment, just like the ark lifted them out. So when we read that story in in view of the cross, it makes different sense to us, yes? When we read the story of Abraham and Isaac, it makes different sense to us because why does it make, it sounds so strange that God would tell him to kill his own son and then all of a sudden replace, give a a different sacrifice in the last minute to spare his own son. What, What makes sense? Well, when you read it through the cross of Jesus Christ, you begin to realize, oh my gosh, we're the Isaacs laying on the altar and we're due death. We're, we're, we should give our life because we sinned against God, right? That's the punishment of sin. But God has given us a replacement sacrifice. That the Ram of God is in fact Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who saved us. This is all making sense. And if you don't read the whole story together and and end it in the cross, you'll miss it all. This matters to me. I get real excited. Anyone? I'm just saying. But the Judaizers keep pointing to something else. They keep pointing to something else. And they're trying to make it something that God didn't intend it to be. A couple weeks ago, I think Joe and Josh did a great work to remind us that the law was temporary. And for the Judaizers to say we have to go back to the law, he goes, you're just undoing everything God's doing. It's temporary. You know what the purpose of the law was to show you? That you can't keep the law. It was to show you that you're, you're a broken individual, that you'll never be able to redeem yourself. That's the purpose. And the question I want to answer today in the last the few moments that I have left is why are the Judaizers doing that? Why are they trying to flip the pages back? And because if we understand why they're doing it, we can understand maybe why we do it too. You know you do this too, right? (laughs) Well, we're about to find out, I'm just saying.
All right. All right, that's my intro. Let's get started, shall we? So, um, <laughs> I'm out of time. <laughs> okay. The first thing, the reason the Judaizers are trying to flip the pages back and change it is because they're fearful. Paul tells us this. Look here in verse 12. He says, it is those, the Judaizers, who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And they're only doing it in order that they may not be persecuted. That there's fear that's actually motivating them to do this. So backstory here is that the Judaizers come from Jerusalem possibly, and the Jewish people down there don't understand why people are following the way of Jesus. And um, they're like, that's fine, you can follow the way of Jesus, but you still can't not follow the law too. And if they teach just following Jesus, they find themselves getting persecuted. This was Paul's argument. He goes, look at the marks on my back. I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked. All these things have happened to me because of the cross of Jesus. But these Judaizers are so fearful to be attacked for this belief that it's Christ alone, that they're adding the law back into it just to appease the Jewish people. Is this making sense? Yeah, for them. So they're fearful for that. There's another aspect of this story that we, in the whole book of Galatians that we didn't spend much time at all on these last few months, but know this, that they were, that the, the Israelites, the people of God, the Jewish people, they were such a unique kind of ethnic group, right? All these laws and regulations made them really special and different from everyone else. And Paul comes along and says, it's all Christ. It's only Christ. And says, you don't need to follow the law anymore. They, for a moment, thought they were going to lose their ethnicity. They, for a moment, thought they were going to lose their identity. And they were losing their ever-loving mind about it. They're fearful that they were going to lose who they were as a person. Paul goes on to say, it doesn't matter if you're Jew, it doesn't matter if you're Greek, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, circumcised, uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. It is the work of Jesus Christ, say amen? Right? They're making it something else, why? Because they're afraid they're going to lose their identity. Sometimes we keep people out because we don't want them to mix with our kind. Well, the church is great, but if those people start coming, then it ain't so great. Can I be honest with you? The church is great until you showed up. Church is great till I showed up, okay? Like we all screw it up. And for us to sit here and go, but we want it to look like this or be like this, or be, then I'm like we're undoing what God is saying he can do. That he can save anyone and move them from darkness into light. And we cannot be people who are afraid of the people that he's going to bring into the church. Now this could be capital C church, it could be little C church, it could be us Renaissance. And they're afraid being persecuted, they're afraid of losing their own identity. And I think they're afraid that people are gonna take advantage of this freedom that they have in Christ. This is a real problem in the church, ladies and gentlemen. That if we go around telling people it doesn't matter if you obey rules or not, that Christ saves you, it's his work, not your works, we, people run around going, yeah, but people are just gonna go crazy. It's gonna be like a, um, Christians gone wild or whatever it is. <laughs> like, it'd be kind of a cool show to watch, wouldn't it? <laughs> But it, it would just be chaos. People would be doing all kinds of like bizarro stuff. Maybe, if you don't know the end of the story, that after Christ was crucified and buried and raised from the dead, that he said, I'm gonna give you the, the paraclete, the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. If you wait for it, he'll so transform your life, right? So all that to say is if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, instead of having the law to guide the things that you do, you now have the Spirit of God indwelling inside of you telling you what to do. So if you think people are gonna go nuts because they don't have to obey the law, but still have the Spirit inside of them, you don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to convict us of these things that are wrong. 
there are things I used to do, and when I became a Christian, God says, uh-uh. And I'm, they're not even sinful things, like just things. Like says, Jeff, you're not doing that anymore because I have something else for you. God begins to direct our lives by the Holy Spirit. And for people to be fearful that if we just teach grace, that God saves people regardless of who they are and what they do, and that they're going to go sinful and act all crazy, it's a wrong understanding of the story of God. It's wrong. And we cannot be fearful of teaching grace. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor. He, took, he graduated seminary years ago, and he went to a small church down in Kentucky, I think. And um, he's preaching this message of grace to this congregation that he's just recently taken over. And the daughter of the old pastor that was there before comes up to him, right, and says, I've never heard this message in my life. I've been coming to the church since I was two years old. I'm 45 now. I've never heard this message of grace. I've never heard this salvation by grace through faith. I've never heard it. Now, we'll throw this out there. It was a Lutheran church. I'm not like making fun of Lutherans. I love me some Lutherans, right? There's a whole lot of Lutherans in here. I'm just saying they can sometimes, we can twist it into be all rules and regulations and not grace. So the Judaizers were changing the story of God because they're fearful. They don't want to lose their identity. They don't want people to go crazy. And they don't want to be persecuted. There's another reason why they're changing the story of God is because they're seeking fame. They want to brag. Look at verse 13, the second half of verse 13, 13b. It says, but they desire to have you circumcised. This is what the Judaizers want, so they can boast about you. So they can boast. They can go back to the people in, in Jerusalem and say, look, we went to Galatia, and we got all those followers of the way, all those Christians, and we, we, we talked them into getting cruci or crucified. That's really circumcised. <laughs> Close, not the same thing. <laughs> it still involves some pain. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> But he, but he says, <laughs> he says, Paul, Paul sees through, I don't know, discernment from the Holy Spirit or what, but he knows what the Judaizers are doing. They, they just want to boast about you. They want to say, look, we got all those people to be circumcised. And, and Paul's just scratching his head. He goes, dude, it don't even freaking matter if you're circumcised or not. You can be circumcised if you want, but if you're going to get circumcised, then you're going to have to follow all the law again. And you're just going back in the story about 1,800 chapters and redoing everything that God has already accomplished in Christ through the cross of Jesus. They want to they wanna brag about all of these circumcision skins. I don't even know what to call that. That sounds so wrong. <laughs> Lastly, the, the Judaizers are fake, that they're fearful they're seeking their own fame. They want to boast, and they're fake. Verse 13a says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. We have a name for this. Hypocrite. <laughs> it, and they're all in this church. I'm just telling you right now. You're probably sitting next to one. Maybe. I don't know, right? Sometimes we try our best, and we mess up. Joe talked about that last week. We slip up occasionally. It doesn't make us hypocrites. What makes us hypocrites is when we tell people they have to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. And this was the Judaizers' MO. You need to get circumcised. You need to obey the law. And they weren't even obeying the law themselves. They are fake. They are hypocrites. And all of these reasons, and we could probably go on and on about even more reasons, but just know this. When they change the story of God, they've, they have depleted it of its power to change people. If we preach a gospel that doesn't um, have the cross of Jesus in it, as Paul used that language in verse 14, is I boast in the cross of Christ. This is my boast. 
This is why it matters. It's this. Because the rest of the Bible makes sense now. And Jesus Christ does a work that we can't do for ourselves. That Jesus Christ changes us. If, if God, he loves us so much that he, if he left it up to us, we would fail time and time again. If salvation depended upon my discipline and my hard work, if it depended upon me, I would be sunk more times than not. But he says, I'm going to take that from you. And I'm going to give that authority to my son, Jesus Christ. And he's going to sacrifice himself in your stead. He's going to give his life that you don't have to. And your salvation will remain secure in his work, not yours. So when we slip up, as Pastor Joe talked about last week, we're fine. Right? Be restored through one another. We help people, right? All of that. But for the Judaizers to bring us back to this old part of the Bible, to a previous chapter to say we have to relive this all, to choose, it, to choose their own adventure, if you will, of the Bible, it just it is insane to think about. God, we don't want to be fearful of what you're doing. We embrace all the people you bring in. We embrace our identity and, and who you're changing us into. We embrace all those things. We don't want to, to seek our own fame. We don't want to brag or boast. Do you know how to strip the love out of a church? You know how? It's to, to let people boast in all their good works. To let people boast and begin to, to work towards all their, their holiness and their righteousness. I mean, I, I prayed three times this week. How about you, Frank? Twice? <laughs> Whatever. I was worshiping on the way to church. What were you listening to? Uh, uh, heavy metal? Oh, sorry. Although I was listening to heavy metal on the way to church today. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. Anyways, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if we make it about works, all of a sudden we just begin to, to put a hierarchy up and I'm better than you and better than you. You want to strip love out of a church? Let them boast on themselves. But Paul, he says, what do I boast in? I boast in the cross of Christ. That's fodder for love in the church. That is seed for, for love to just be expressed in the church. If we just boast in him and him alone, it'll change us as a people. We don't want to be fearful. We don't want to seek our own fame. And we don't want to be fake. James, the brother of Jesus, says that it's good for us to get together and confess our sins to one another. Right? I'm not saying you've got to stand in this position in front of everyone, in front of God and these witnesses, and tell, you, tell everyone all the mistakes that you've made, all the sins you've had. I'm not saying that. But there's a person or two that you need to have in your life, and you need to get real with them. You talk with them and you need, you need to just work through this stuff. Um, we at the church, we can help you with that. We can help you. I'm just telling you, if you're, if you're being fake, it, it's a dangerous road to try to go down because you'll find yourselves like the Judaizers and you'll eventually change the story of God and you'll find yourself, um, you, you've drifted far from the buoy, so to speak. You are no longer anchored in the, the grace of God. I'll close with this last thought. Uh, reading some commentaries this week, I mentioned earlier that God is the one who creates everything. This is what a commentator said. I don't remember his name, but I, I thought it was really great. It says, creation is always God's work. It's never ours. Circumcision and the other acts of the law, they cannot be part of the new creation that God is doing because man performs them. 
See, creation is God's work. And if he's going to recreate something through Jesus Christ, it's his work. And so circumcision, acts of the law, all of those things to find acceptance into God is what we do. We don't create the new creation. Jesus does. Is this making sense? Okay. I want to I pray for us. I'm so glad you've come. And um, I'm so glad you heard this message today. And I hope it was helpful for you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time. Thank you that you would come and you would be with us, that there are more than just words being spoken today, but the Spirit himself has been moving amongst our midst, whispering into our own hearts the things that you would have us to understand. My favorite thing, Lord, most weeks is when people come up to me and say, Jeff, I love it last week when you said this. And I think back in my mind and I'm like, I never said that, Lord. You must have said it because I didn't say it. And you're speaking to your people. We love you for that. God, we've already expressed our desire to have eyes to see and ears to hear you, Lord. As we close and we go back to sing one more chorus of a, of a song, Lord, would you, would you just put into our hearts the truth of this message today? That Jesus Christ has the power to save me. He's the power to keep me. That I don't have to earn my way back to you. That if I find myself drifting away, all I need to do is say, Lord, I've drifted from you. I'm sorry and I want to come back. And that's called repentance. In fact, sometimes we can go back and forth on this, but we don't even need to ask for forgiveness because he's already forgiven us in Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes, he's forgiven us. So God, we just, if we've gone astray, Lord, we just come back to you. Today we, we confess, we wanna come back to where you are. And we wanna come back to where Jesus Christ is. And for all those who are um, weary from working so hard to try to earn your way, for, for trying to be the good Christian, to try to prove to God how good you are, God frees you from that today. That you're a good Christian. You're righteous and holy because of what Jesus has done for you. And he has given you now the Holy Spirit so you can now listen and be obedient to the Holy Spirit who also empowers you to live a different way. God would tell you today that you need to step into, that he's inviting you to step into new creation new living. Your identity now is that of holy and righteous. The sinner that you used to be is no more. And you do have the power to change. You just don't know that sometimes. I'm telling you by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the power. I thank you for that, Lord. God, we pray for healings in this room. We pray that you Take hold of the sick one that is in this room. You know them, Lord. You know the ones that need your touch, that you would touch them and you would transform them, that you can recreate even that which is broken by this sinful world. That sickness and disease and death all is the result of sin, Lord, and you've overcome sin. So we pray, God, for healing in this room for all those who are sick and all those who need healing in their bodies, Lord. You would do something today. It'd be a, it would be a marked day today that you've done something. God, we pray for salvations today, that there'd be some in the room that for the first time they said, I'm, I wanna follow this Jesus guy. I'd never heard the Bible this way before, but it makes sense to me. Now I wanna follow Jesus. I pray, God, that you would, you would have them come forward after service and we could pray with them and they could become a Christian today. I pray for that in Jesus' name. 
And for all of us who have been Christians for a while, just encourage us in the things that we've heard today. God, you're up to something. You're not finished. The story, it climaxes in Christ Jesus for sure. That's the big push. But as, um, but as you said in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples and baptize people, that there's work to be done, Lord, and we're moving forward. God, give us vision for the future. Give us power to see what you're up to, God, because you're up to something. We thank you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 